0: This is Matt Harrigan and it's Robot Chicken Week on the Adult Swim Podcast. Robot Chicken is entering its tenth season. We thought it would be fun to do a deep dive with the people behind this Keystone show of the Adult Swim Block. Today brings us co-creator Matt Senreich. He and I caught up backstage at Adult Swim's carnival on the green behind San Diego Comic-Con. Here he is now to kick off Robot Chicken Week. So, do people recognize you when you come here? Never. Never. Great. You don't get recognized?
1: You know, it's only before and after the actual events that we end up doing, whether it be the panel or the signing or something in that capacity. Um, Yeah, so I can blend in. Usually, you know, it's great because I have Seth or Brecken. So, Seth
0: and Brecken get most of the physical
1: attention. Yeah, and then I hide in the background, and I can just go to the bathroom and then disappear into the the wind.
0: For anybody listening, we're sitting outside... uh, how do you even describe where we are? Yeah, we're on the Adult Swim footprint, uh, probably about 20 yards from the stage, which is booming. Uh, Rick the, and Morty, I think, is signing right Rick now. Rick and or, get, or signing right now. It's happening
1: right now, yeah. Another perfect example of people that we're just going to go hang out with later. Gendy. Yeah, I love Gendy. The best. I'm, oh, actually, I will say about Gendy, I'm awkward with him because he's one of those people that I look up to. Yeah. And so, again, it's a little bit like a George Lucas situation where I'm like, all right, I can be normal around you and it'll be okay. And yet every time I'm with him, you can kind of see the sweat a little bit of me. Even though I've gotten to know him, I still feel like a
0: complete ass when I'm talking to him. You feel to. like you're in the presence of a real genius. Yes, yeah. very
1: much so. And it's, it's look, anytime I get to interact with him, anytime I can learn from him in uh-huh. any way, I, I feel better about myself because, yeah, he really is unbelievable.
0: But people do recognize you sometimes. Yes, people do recognize uh-huh. me sometimes.
1: And it's flattering when they do. Um... But again, I I much rather prefer not to be recognized. Why? Cuz I'm an awkward human being. <laughs> Why? Are, you, are you are you a nerd? I'm an extreme. Nerd. I mean, this is my 23rd year coming to Comic-Con. Wow. Um I come from the comic book world, but uh, you know, I I just like to be able to stand in line and buy stuff or wander around and see something I've never seen before or, you know, buy some random comic book I don't
0: have in my collection. Are you looking for something specific while you're here? Uh You know, this year not so much.
1: Um, I bought a couple toys from actually Mattel this year that I really liked. There was a a, (laughs) there was a Mario Kart uh, gold and silver, uh, you know Mario, and uh, I just wanted to get the gold one. And you know, I've only gotten the silver one so far, and I don't know if I should keep buying these things. It's one out of ten is the gold.
0: Do you know how many? toys you have that you own <laughs> uh, i have an attic
1: full of them that my wife tells me i should get rid of she like your toys not at all she doesn't <laughs> and my kids
0: i wish would love my Do toys they not care no not really it because scary. you're enthusiastic about something that your kids rejected <laughs> very much so they reject the your enth- your toy
1: enthusiasm yes yes they are i think that's the case i think my daughter who's six probably is more into art which is more my world and my son is more into video games, which is great in my world, but toys are completely irrelevant to him. So it's – and neither of them could care about comic books.
0: What comic books do you do you crave? Are you are you on a quest for something?
1: You know, not so much. They're just probably certain trade paperbacks that I still look to get for my collection. Things that I hear have come out that I like. Um, yeah, it's tough. I grew up with like the Marvel stuff. It was like Avengers, Captain America, um, it was X-Men. Uh, it was a lot of stuff back in the early 90s or a- late 80s that I really fell in love with that got me into this world. Do you remember the first thing that really hooked you? Uh, yes, it was an Avengers comic, uh, Avengers um, 283, uh, which was a amazing issue and just, uh, just made me happy. How man. did you come across it? I was just in a newsstand, and it was sitting there, and I had nothing to buy, and my parents asked me if I wanted to buy something, and uh, I just ended up buying this comic and frustratingly read it. My cousin, I should take that back, my cousin had a huge collection. He lived in Madison, Wisconsin, and I would always occasionally look at it or read it a little bit, but I wasn't diehard, and that's probably what triggered me to uh, buy this thing at the newsstand, and once I read that comic, uh, I I was in avengers 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 and captain america because it was captain america getting fired what do you think it
0: was that got me that resonated yeah that got you
1: uh i don't know i was a nerd i was one of those guys who you know didn't have wasn't popular in uh in school that much and uh it just gave me this escape to, to dream to be something i could never be you weren't popular uh in, in elementary school, I was. <laughs> but, uh, not, not in high school? Not in high school. You, you um, declined? I declined to be popular in every way. <laughs> um, I had a nice balance, though, I will say. Because I wasn't popular, and I was awkward, and I was quiet, and which is still the case. Um, and this is why anyone listening to this will know that. You don't seem awkward. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> but I am. Uh-huh. Um, and then, what was I going to say with that? Uh Oh, and then in high school, the reason I wasn't beat up, I would say, was um, I was able to play sports. What did you so, I played soccer a lot. Uh, I was really good at soccer. Um, and then I went into hockey. And it was, uh, I got to be really good in hockey, which was lovely. So, so that sort of took the edge off the nerd Exactly. Head. So I wouldn't get beat up, but I wouldn't hang out with them. Did you ever get beat up? Uh, there was one moment that I remember, yeah. What happened? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I need to ask you these questions. Uh, I'll trade you this story. Okay. Um, but yeah, I uh, I was in middle school. It was like sixth grade, and I was walking with all the the you know books under my shoulder, and there were a bunch of setup. eighth grade, yeah, a bunch of eighth graders walking towards me, and then one at a time, they just knocked into me, knocked the books out, knocked the books out, knocked the books out, and I just kept you know falling, and then being the tough guy, I thought I could be. I turned around, and I said something inappropriate back to them, like you know. You know this isn't something you should do, and uh <laughs> is that how you said it that yeah, exactly that's exactly how I said it no, and then and, uh they just all turned around and decided to uh you know take a little take a little hit on me They beat your ass uh yeah, my stomach hurt it was a it was Punch a couple in the stomach it was a couple punches in the stomach, it was a throw against the lockers it was uh wow yeah it was it was unpleasant and then i I told my parents I didn't want to go to school anymore and didn't tell them anything about that. <laughs> wow. That really happened. That really happened. It was, and it stuck with you. Do you remember how old you were? It was grade six, you were sixth grade. So what is like, that like? 12? Yeah. Somewhere in there. So middle school sucked. I don't I can't think of one person. Did your middle school suck? Yeah. There's sucked. not a person who's like, oh, middle school was awesome. Yeah. This is the greatest thing ever. You don't want to peak in middle school. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I definitely did not peak in middle school.
0: I don't think I've even peaked yet. So wait, what happened to you? When did you get beat up? Uh I had older brothers so they would beat me up sort of <laughs> regularly. How um, many? Two. But uh I would get uh I would get uh teased cuz I have big ears. You too? Well, I, I, <laughs> I have to look at this yeah, after. I've headphones on. Yeah, um yeah. I don't know. I feel like I, you know, I didn't really get beat up too much. I got taunted a lot, you know. I was yeah. a total nerd also, but I wasn't a good athlete either. <laughs> at least you had that. It's Not a lot about. of sports and nerd culture. Is there is there a crossover do you
1: think? Um I mean there is now with high school musical. Um Right. <laughs> but right. uh now back then it wasn't really like the fact that I was able to play sports was I, it, like I felt like I could survive a bit. It was it was really nice and I really loved hockey. Like I genuinely I still love hockey. Um you know soccer, my coach was very difficult and it made me hate soccer. Um yeah, so I still did it, and I was still good at it, but it definitely made me... It's only more recently that I've
0: really enjoyed watching it again. You've been making robot chicken pieces for 20 years. Yeah, it's great. That's wild. It is. It 10 is. seasons. It's sketch comedy.
1: That's, I mean, that's really what it is. And yeah. I, it's just about finding people who can continue to write and have different perspectives to do that kind of sketch comedy. And I, that's what I love about it. And just watching the people we've brought in to write with us. How they, do you find writers for your show? Uh, there's no right way to do it. I always try to say different places. Um, Walk us through the writing process. We start and we do four, four week sessions. So it's uh, our two head writers, Tom and Doug, who started the show with me way back in New York, way back in the day. Uh, we have another guy, Mike. And then we hire three new writers uh, every four weeks so we bring in just different perspectives uh everybody for two and a half of those weeks will just keep coming up with ideas and writing them down everybody shits on everyone's ideas as much as possible but we all vote on what should make it to the next level and whatever we end up doing we'll give it like oh this is going to be a one minute sketch this is going to be a three minute sketch whatever it might be and then it's on hold until the last week and a half and that's when everything gets scripted so for the last week and a half, everybody gets scripted. It goes line by line, and that stuff is what goes into uh, the four episodes. And then once those four episodes are done, we switch out the writers, we bring in new ones, and we get a different perspective.
0: Has this always been the process,
1: or has this evolved over ten seasons? It's evolved over ten seasons. The first season, it was just you know four of us. It was Seth, you know, Tom, Doug, and myself, and uh, we didn't have money. I mean. You know, just trying to come up with ideas as best we can and as fast as we can while things were shooting. We were behind schedule first season. We were staying up till 4 in the morning trying to do production. It was everything that we could have done wrong that first season happened.
0: So back it up to before that first season. Okay. Sweet Jay. Yes. I remember Sweet Jay, and I remember those, those first cuts of the show coming in. But walk us through how you got to Adult Swim. Uh, okay. So...
1: We had done this thing called Sweet J Presents for um, Sony Digital, which is called Screen Blast. Uh, We did that in about 2000, year 2000. Mm -hmm. And it sat there for a while because we did 12 animated shorts. It was all on dial-up. No one could see it. So we had basically 40, 45 minutes worth of content, but we didn't know what to do with it after we were done. So Sony paid for it. Sony paid for this thing. And why did they do that? Uh, Because they saw... That we were doing a short for Seth. Um, Seth was a friend of mine. We were both super geeks who would do it at Comic Cons. And uh, he called me up one day and he's like, hey, I'm going on Conan O'Brien. I have nothing to talk about. I have an action figure from either Buffy or um, uh, Austin Powers. He's like, what if we got my action figure and a Conan O'Brien action figure, which existed through uh, uh, Barbie? They had one. And uh, we had them uh, just kind of go on an adventure together. And he asked, he's like, do you want to make that with me? And I said, that sounds great. Wow. So after work uh, at 6 p.m., I would start working on that with him. And uh, as we were in the, the, trying to figure out how to do it, we were talking to like third year art students on how to or animate you this make, stuff. want to make like a minute? Uh, we wanted to make, yeah, like a minute or two. Uh-huh. And uh, it was a third-year art student place called the Joe Kubert School that we went to. And as we were asking around, Sony Digital somehow heard that we were doing this. And they were like, hey, we hear you're trying to do this short. We're making original content for this thing called the World Wide Web. Are you right, interested yeah. in making it with us? And we're like, if you're going to pay, we'll do whatever you want. Uh, so they they jumped on board with us. And uh, they ended up making 12 shorts that nobody saw. 12 one animated or two shorts, shorts. Uh-huh. they were like yeah they were like two to four minutes each uh-huh. and uh we had these things but once we were done screen blast kind of folded because it was on you know digital Everything folded exactly yeah. and uh it just sat with us um but i felt like we could do more and seth felt like we could do more so we were figuring out where we could take it so we took it to like um what's it, called? Uh, it was. Um, Oh, my friend Mad TV had a sketch show. We took uh-huh. it to Saturday, Saturday Live. And we were like, hey, maybe it's like a little short that you guys can do. Smiled short. Uh-huh. Yeah, so something like a Mr. Bill. Um, we took it to uh, Cartoon Network. Uh, and we took it to Cartoon Network. And they're like, this is too old for the stuff that we're doing. So Sam Register, who was there. Um, but he was like, hey, there's this another part of our company uh-huh. that you may want to look at. And then at the same time, Seth McFarlane, who did some voices on the Sony digital stuff on Sweet J, uh, was also like, hey, they're re-airing my uh, Family Guy stuff on this place called Adult Swim. You may want to look at it because they're doing original content now. So both of these things were happening at the same time. And we're like, oh, maybe we should try to pitch them. So we got introduced to Mike Lazo, who heads up uh, Adult Swim, and uh, Mr. Keith Crawford as well. And uh, they invited us to come to the Space Ghost offices on Third Street Promenade in um that was my and, office was it yeah in los yeah. angeles uh-huh. uh, then you can tell me what's true and not about yeah, this no, that's story true. so so we went in there and this is the perspective we have which uh-huh. they disagree with um we went in it was an empty office three yes yeah it was 2003 mm-hmm. it was an empty office for yes. the most part and there was one desk right in the front yep. uh with one chair and there were two chairs on the other side so there were three chairs in this room and Seth and I sat on one side, Mike Lasso sat on the other side, feet up on the desk and Keith did not have a seat and stood behind him like a bouncer. And it was like this awkward meeting and we're like, Godfather. Uh-huh. Yes. Very much. So we're like, what is, what is this meeting? And, uh, the first thing Mike Lazo said is, you know, I don't like stop motion. And we're like, why are we here? And then he's like, but I think your show is funny. And we're like, okay. And we didn't know what to make of that conversation. And, um, we just kept talking about it. And by the time it ended, he's like, we're going we're gonna to make this. And we were blown away. And we walked out of there confused. And uh, by the end of that uh, whole experience, they picked up 20 episodes. You were confused. Yeah. I mean, we they, don't like this. I know. Quiet. Yeah, exactly. We don't think this, this medium is great, but it's funny. So we'll see what we do. And uh-huh. that's how we walked out of it. And again, Mike Lazo felt like he was barefoot. At least that's how I remember it. It was an awkward thing um but yeah it was a, a a wild scenario and so i guess they started talking about a deal i didn't have an agent at the time really i mean i might have i don't know it was a whole weird scenario and the next thing i know seth calls me up like three months later and it's like hey we're making this show you got to move out from new york uh, <laughs> how are we gonna do it and wow next i was like oh my god so I had to leave my job that was in New York uh, and make my way out to Los Angeles. I went
0: with you guys and I met you guys. You don't remember this probably down in uh, somewhere near like Santa Monica, south of Santa Monica. Yep. I where remember. Those, it. Like internet company offices were. Yep. That was first season. We were looking at AOL's building. Yep. Stuff like AOL. Music. I do remember that. An office there. Yep. That's we were right funny.
1: next to Activision down there. Right. Yep. Activision. Yeah. It was this small little building for this thing that. For stop motion, you need a lot more space because right. you have to build sets and puppets. You know, you need like actual machinery, and we're in this like little mini office building. Kind of, it just was a little smaller than we needed it to be. And uh, but it was great. It was a fantastic experience, and I got to know everybody there in a great way. What did uh, SNL say? Uh, SNL thought it was funny, but they didn't know what to do with it. And plus. You know they had their own way of doing things, uh-huh. um, but it was a nice meeting. All the meetings were really nice. They were all very same for Matt TV, same for Matt TV. And Seth knew people at Matt TV because I feel like Alex Borstein was over there, and so he knew Alex and made the intro- She made the introduction. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't. It just wasn't for them. It wasn't a place for. Him. Yeah, and it, again, it was nice. But it took us four years to go from the digital stuff to actually being on Adult Swim. And uh yeah it's just and then we just got to know everybody and Do you remember when your first cut you sent to the <laughs> network? Yes. I do. What they said? I remember what they said. Uh they said a few things. Um first thing I remember them saying is the long sketches needed to be shorter and the short sketches needed to be longer. I remember that. I remember uh we had a sketch about the two fairy which was really dark and I remember uh Lazo being like hey, this is really uncomfortable to watch and I don't think it's going to work. When it was in animatic, we're like, you have to trust us. And he (laughs) watched it afterward and he said it was his favorite thing from season one after. Wow. Which, you know, and I think that was what really was the moment that changed our relationship with Adult Swim where it just was this like, hey, we're doing this together, you know, all hands in because
0: he believed in us. And I I think him believing us made all the difference in the world. Because stop motion is such a, Tremendous, terrific headache to make. <laughs> so to go from an animatic to an executed Tooth Fairy sketch, yeah. that's a lot of trust. Yes, very much so. What did we, probably scary you guys. What do you remember I remember saying? the sketches, uh, exactly as you said, uh, the longer sketches needed to be shorter. Yep. And uh, I didn't know about the shorter sketches needed to be longer, <laughs> but I remember um, sitting in pre-renovated William Street, and well, as I used to sit at the end of the hall with this, you know, TV on a cart and a VHS under it. And the tape would come in and just pop it in. I just love that it's a VHS. Right. Yeah. Right. It was. (laughs) Keep going. uh, But like, it was a very democratic arena. He'd sit there in his chair and with a cigarette hanging out the window. (laughs) And uh, PAs and assistants, you know, everybody in the office would come around and watch whatever he was watching. And that would be the sort of immediate focus group as to... If something, you know, would, would you get an instant re- response, whether or not, you know, that steered the direction of it. Hard to say, but it was, uh, and I remember people, when that came through. You know, the fact that even if you talk about stop
1: motion now that people are like, well, it's going to be like robot chicken. We're like, no, stop motion could be anything you want it to be. Yeah. Um, robot chicken is to make it look like your action figures are coming to life. Or they think about, um, you know, the Leica stuff, which is like. Nightmare Before Christmas, or it's going to be this dark, brooding kind of uh, style. It doesn't need to be that. What do you want it to be? And you can make it that way. It just,
0: you know, is, has a three D element to it. It's live action animation, yeah. really. very much so. What do you remember about uh, the first season? Like things, it was it was a rough start. <laughs> it was a rough start. Guys. I mean, I remember it being great. moved. Yes, I just moved. We set
1: up this whole thing. It, it was it was great, and there was an excitement to it that I can't explain. I do remember Seth went to go make a movie in the middle of the season. Um, That's convenient. Yeah, exactly. And it was in like Bulgaria. No joke. It was something like that. And it was before you could actually use your cell phone to really interact with people and look at things. So I would be sending him dailies. And it was hard because by the
0: time our day finished, he was waking up in the morning. Did it cross your mind that you've gotten into a big clusterfuck and oh yeah and, and i've moved here <laughs> yes. he's gone off to do a movie yep i'm trying to send him stop motion clips to bulgaria yep and even worse and i'm and the network is going to be furious yes all across the board and then worse the
1: seventh episode i still remember to this day our uh animation directors uh called us in and we had a meeting at like two three in the morning and all they did was explain to us everything we were writing is way too complicated to be able to shoot for the budget that we had. Because our days, we would start at like eight in the morning and we would go until who knows what time at night in that season. And they were like, "You have to change how you're writing." You know, we do like between 120 to 150 setups or shots per per episode, whereas that first season we were doing. 210 to 250. What does
0: it mean to have a shot? A shot
1: like you set the camera up, it's locked in, and then the animator will just do it from that perspective. And then when you have to move that camera, you have to relight it, you have to reset it up as far as like where the puppets are. If you think about it like you have a camera in your hand and you're shooting something, you have
0: to lock it in. It's easy to just lift up a camera and move it over. And, and, and let's say you've locked in the shot yep. and it's a, it's a guy swinging a baseball bat. Yep. So every movement of the bat is, is in that shot It's that's in one shot in yes one in one shot now now imagine you need it from the
1: other side perspective where you're shooting it from you know 90 degrees over that's a whole setup that could take like you know three hours to, set, to set up and relight. Yep, yeah exactly Mo- you know move potentially the background and make sure it's all perfect it's a, it's a, yeah. it yeah so
0: you didn't, we we didn't know yet, yet how to write for that No, not at all
1: yeah that took us probably a couple seasons to figure and out
0: and also how to be funny for that Yeah, it's not was, just <laughs> there's also that aspect right. as well yes
1: um, you know, we didn't know, and we were using actual toys that couldn't pose and hold their poses. because yeah. if you have an action figure and you're moving it, you know, it will hold. But if you start playing with your, you know, GI Joe, eventually that little uh, arm. Will just fall down by itself and not hold the pose because you've moved it up and down too much. Um, then you need a new G.I. Joe. Exactly. And then we have to find out how to do that. Whereas our second and third season, we're like, oh, we just disassemble this. We'll put in like wire armature inside of it
0: and rebuild it. And now we'll hold that pose forever. Huh. We didn't know that either. Were you writing for yourselves? Yeah. Were you writing, <laughs> chasing what you thought the network wanted? Like, how did that work at the beginning? Uh, we were always writing for ourselves. And we still write for ourselves. It's.
1: We're a bunch of friends and it really starts with that. And that's what this whole thing was, is the, the core four of us, we've always been friends. What makes us laugh? What makes us chuckle? And we're hoping that other people laugh with us and what those things are. Um, and even as we get older and we bring in the new writers, the two things we look for is, do we think they're funny? And are we going to like them to just hang out with? Um, because that's what that room needs to be. As soon as it feels like work, it doesn't feel like a place that you want to actually be funny in. I'm an 80s kid. I'm assuming you're an 80s kid. Um, You know, we grew up with G.I. Joe and Transformers and He-Man and Thundercats. And then you look at as time progresses, a lot of those things didn't maintain and haven't been as popular. So now we're in this like 90s nostalgia phase, maybe even a little later where it's early 2000s phase, where the younger writers that come in show us what they grew up with. And then we see from watching that stuff, what's funny about it? Or, you know, again, I always say it's like, what's the thing that happens right before or after these crazy moments in, uh, in your memory of, of these, uh, you know, these, uh, characters. Um, so, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. Like I was talking about Neopets at this convention. I don't know if you know what Neopets are. I did not grow up with Neopets. I know very little about Neopets, but, All these people have these experiences about how they tried to keep them alive and how they would die and what they needed to do to keep. And there's there's funny stuff in hearing these stories and
0: what their experiences were. And I want to tap into those writers to tell me those stories. And you have to trust them that their uh, experience with Neopets is significant enough to have a broad appeal. Exactly. And then on top of it, especially because I don't know very much about it.
1: They need to be making me laugh and they need to be making themselves laugh who know about it. You have to have both perspectives, and that's something that we always talked about even with Star Wars, and that's a good example of it is if you know Star Wars, you know what the joke of these things are, but I need you as a non-Star Wars person to think it's funny also. So the idea of the Emperor you know, getting this phone call about something horrible that happens, um, I think you understand if you're just a boss you know, getting this call where your second-in-command is just fucking everything up. <laughs> and so, again, you need to understand it from both sides of it. Is how does it work within this, uh, you know, this uh, property,
0: and how does it work outside of this property? It has to have been daunting trying to approach Star Wars, right? <laughs> they, huh? they approached us technically, okay, yeah, so, even more daunting. Than <laughs> yeah,
1: um, they approached Star Wars. Approached you, Star Wars. It was great. Star That's Wars crazy. was, yeah. We ended up airing that Star Wars, um, that Emperor phone call sketch, which. You know, we've been doing it with all these other properties. This is kind of our... It was our second major Star Wars sketch. And um, the week after it aired, uh, on the office line, it it said uh, Lucasfilm on the caller ID. And this is second season Robot Chicken. And Seth and I just are sitting in our office and we're it's freaking out. Middle of out. the day, just the phone just, rings. Yeah, just middle of the day. It's scary. It's really scary. And I'm like, we're going to get sued. We're just oh. going to get sued. And... Uh, I remember picking up the phone and uh, and being like, hi, uh, Matt Senreich and uh, Seth Green's office. Can I help you? <laughs> trying <laughs> see to see if I can find them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just trying to play it out. And uh, the woman on the phone is like, oh, hi, this is uh, Tracy Canobio. And I was like, excuse me? And she's like, said her name, Tracy Canobio. And I'm like, all right, who is this? Who's messing with she's me right with now? Me. <laughs> yeah. I don't think any of this is real. And she's like, I swear. She's just like, I'm calling because we saw your sketch. Um, George Lucas saw it and showed it to the board. Um, oh, shit, you, and, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, stomach drop." yeah, I'm just like, I don't know what to do right now. Just stay quiet. Just stay quiet. And, uh, and he said, it was really funny. and wanted to invite you guys up there to get a tour of uh, Lucasfilm. Are you interested? And I was like, this is really odd. And so, of course I said yes wow. within instance. And we got invited up there. And it was that moment of just surrealness. It's just what is happening right now. And uh, we got to go up there. And uh, they had us stay at Skywalker Ranch for a night. And it was this unbelievable beauty. We got to see you know, the, the archives and all these things. We ne- We didn't get to meet George. But we just got to talk to everybody who works there. And in the process of... Meeting with all these people, we met with like the heads of marketing, we met with uh you know the PR people. Uh, I still remember at lunch and I was like, hey, you know it'd be really great. And I was like, it'd be so cool if we did like a half hour robot chicken Star Wars special. Did you just think of that on the spot? I did, and I'll never forget because Seth got so mad that he stepped on my foot and grabbed my, my leg under the table. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you screwing up our
0: relationship so quickly? Right, like, you. let's let's move in together. Yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> like, that's really what it was like. And, like, why are you jumping to this this moment? And, uh, and I, I, they looked at me. This guy, Tom Warner, looked at me and uh, nodded his head, like, of interest. And I was like, all right. And we left. And within three weeks, they came back to us and they're like, that sounded really interesting. We would love to figure out how to do something like that. Yeah, and uh, you know, I then had, had to call Keith Crawford and be like, "Hey, man, uh, <laughs> how does this sound to you? Um, you guys got to work on a relationship between these two giant corporations." But it ended up working itself out great, and yeah. Uh, yeah, we dove in, and it built our relationship with Lucasfilm, and it built our relationship with George Lucas. So, yeah, I still to this day, I'm blown away by it. And you looked at the caller ID and said, "Lucasfilm." <laughs> exactly. Anytime now. Uh yeah, it's 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 wonderful. You ended up meeting George. Yes. I've met and worked with George now and I yeah, it's been an amazing experience and
0: uh gosh. A lot of people here at this con would be uh (laughs) like to be in your in your shoes, right? The best
1: way I can say with George that I always say is I'm George's dad to Seth and George together, who are my children. Because the two of them for whatever reason act like little children. And it's very uncomfortable for what? me, what where I'm mean? like, "Hey guys, we gotta work." And the two of them are like telling each other jokes and silly stories.
0: That's crazy. It
1: is. It makes me feel like a complete ass that I should just be joking around with them. But I guess I've turned into a responsible adult. Dad. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it was a, it's been an amazing. Experience. Have you had a? Uh... Uh, unpleasant reactions from celebrities that you've mocked? <laughs> You're asking me this on on this? Uh, yeah, yeah. we can cut it out. Uh, <laughs> we can edit it out. Change your mind. Um, there have only been a hand, like not even a handful, I would say like one hand worth of uh-huh. people who are just like, it's just uncomfortable or awkward where you realize they probably have no idea what they're doing. But most of the time, the people who come in, you're, you're blown away by how game they are to do things or make fun of things that they've done or you know, lean into it and say, I want to do more or see them out at like a comic convention and be like, why aren't I doing Robot Chicken now? Um, we were just talking to some people uh, about this, the 10th season and doing some sort of event where we've had 650 or more actors be on this show. Wow. Um, and it's wild to think about. It's more than SNL has had. And it's, it's shocking to me that we've had the the type of talent that we've had on this show for something that is just this little 11 minute, you know, late night, uh, yeah. cable show. And, uh, it's, it's, yeah, I, I, again, when we started this, it was all favors that we were act, asking because uh-huh. no now one they knew, come to you. Yeah. And now a lot of people end up coming to us and asking, or when we meet someone, they're like, oh, we'd love to do the show. Um, well first season what really put us over the edge that that makes me happy was um we we had uh, the what's it called scooby-Doo cast because Seth knew them all and he was in that scooby-Doo movie so it was like Sarah Michelle Geller and Freddie Prince and um, Matt Lillard so having all of them really helped us I think uh, we also got um, it was Ryan Seacrest at the time who Seth had just done some event with um, and I think the biggest one that made a really Big difference was we had Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise. And it was unbelievable. And we had them in at the same time. Wow. And to this day, it, I'm just – that was one of the ones where I geeked out because Cannibal Run is one of the inspirational things for me uh, growing up. And uh, at the time, we didn't have a voice booth in our studio. So we went to a, a voice uh, a place where we could do the records, a record uh, studio. And um, they came in. It was a 9 a.m. record. And Seth had worked with him on a movie, and when they got there, uh, he wanted to do a shot of tequila to start. Uh huh. And it was Bert. not Bert. Yeah, yeah, it was nine a.m. Uh, Dom was on a walker at the time and uh, was just making fun of the fact that we were going to do this shot. Very entertaining. And uh, the two of them, you just saw what that dynamic was, uh-huh. which was genuine. It was just this genuine dynamic between the two of them. And with Seth and I. They saw what we were like, and they were just leaning into it and both having fun with us and each other. And um, so Seth and him did a handful of those shots. I only did one before it broke me. Uh, but then Seth they, and Burt Reynolds did yeah, tequila shots. They were doing tequila shots together. It was great. It was fantastic. And, uh, 9 at 9 a.m. At 9 a.m. And then when the two of them went into the booth together, every time Dom uh, would do a record wrong, uh, Bert would give him a slap across the face. And... It was like playing it up for us. But at the same time, you saw them just kind of goofing it around as friends. And uh, that was what changed me seeing what this show could be. Um, wow. And, and then they stayed after they recorded for the whole day of records, talking about stories like The Longest Yard. And I wanted to turn around and just be a part of it. But they were talking to the rest of our crew that was there um, and other voice talent that came in. But we were so focused on the other people we had to record. Oh, shit. So it was like you're trying to be a part of it, but you're a little lot. Um, but yeah, it was uh it, it was fantastic. How about uh, the new season? This new season, yeah. Like who we're having new season's coming up? Oh my gosh! Can I need, you tell? Um, you know, it's this new one. It's it's a weird grouping of people. Yeah. Like we have like David Lynch, we got to come in. What? Um, again, and it's How like people that like
0: that that you're like, oh. Do you ask him? Yeah, we asked him. Uh huh. Um, he's for a very specific type of thing, and then does his publicist or whatever say, can you send me a clip?
1: Uh, or do, or for not. some places, yes. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, for some places, they may have no idea.
1: We're at the point now where people do know our show. Uh-huh. So it, it's either like, yeah, I like it, or there's no way
0: I will do this show. Um, I imagine somebody like David Lynch might be so removed w- from the planet that he might, you know, <laughs> his own thing. No, but that was. He it, knew it. Yeah. That's cool.
1: Um, and then, like, look, I go out to Harrison Ford every year, and, you know, he, I don't even know if it gets to him, but uh-huh. I don't think he wants to do our show. So <laughs> you tried for 10 years. I will continue to try for 10 more. And uh, do you
0: acknowledge each time you try that I'm here. I am trying yeah. again. Yeah, Uh huh. we always do. And maybe one day it'll happen. He knows our love for He's him. Probably listening. He knows our
1: relationship with Star Wars. We'll see what happens. So <laughs> why do you think he doesn't do it? I have no idea. I mean, uh-huh. he, he just might not get it. Look, we pay very little money oh, <laughs> for that's this. That's probably thing. it, right? I'm sure that has a lot to do with whether or not some of these people want Does to do Does everyone get shows. paid the same? Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's... It's a very specific type of show. These people come in and they could be out in a half an hour. Yeah. (laughs) So. Yeah. um, But again, a lot of people who come in now want to see where we make it, and they walk around that we give them a tour of our studio, and they have a really good time with it.
0: But you guys have diversified now, beyond Robot Chicken. Yes. Titan Maximum. We have Titan Maximum. What was that experience like? Uh, Titan Maximum, I
1: loved, and look, I'm passionate about it. But uh, you know, there are people in your office who didn't necessarily want a linear story and wanted just one-off stuff, and I think we went for a more linear story with that one. Um, you it's know, we
0: frustrating coming off Robot Chicken and the Titan Maximum, thinking...
1: Yeah, not really. Again, it was just something different. You know, it was more character-based. Um, you know, it was a, a little anime-based that we were going for. It kind of had that, like, uh, Battle of the Planets kind of vibe that we wanted for it. Um, and I think that just didn't land as well with uh, Adult Swim at the time. At the time. Yeah, because I feel like now... That landing at something like a Netflix or even with Adult Swim. Now, well, Adult Swim doesn't necessarily do those linear storylines. Right. It's standalones. And that's why I think people always come back and re-air it. Even something like Rick and Morty, which is something I love. Like It has a linear growing of the characters, but the storyline isn't one giant storyline, which is what
0: we were doing for what do you Max like Zone. Do you like the quarter-hour format, the 11 minutes? I like them both. It yeah. just depends on the show. Yeah. It really depends on the show. I mean, what's your favorite? I like the sh- sh- sort of short attention span quarter hour but you're right i mean it's nice to have, it's nice to blow it out and see big long stories yeah sometimes what about other projects stupid buddies i mean you guys have got to be in high demand now i don't know how much of it i'm allowed to okay to, but um, but you make a no, lot yeah, of shows for lots of yeah people. we have like a hulu show that's coming
1: up uh-huh. uh that's called crossing swords inappropriate but uh-huh. um yeah and it's going to be same type. it's stop motion um but uh it has like uh it's like a fisher price little people type of look and we have a whole commercial division. So we did like a huge commercial campaign for, you know, Denny's or Goldfish. Is it mostly stop motion? Is it, is it other? It's everything. Everything. Look, we did Hot Streets, uh, which was 2D, uh, yeah. for Adult Swim. And, Great show. Yeah, I loved it. Um, and I look, we, Brian Weissall, who did that show is, you know, was on, uh, Rick and Morty first and then came over to Robot Chicken to write with us. And that, that all started with just, Me and Roiland, Justin Roiland, just hanging out going, we think this guy's funny. I wonder what we can do with him. And he just sat there and talked to us. And then we're like, all right, let's partner up and make this happen.
0: It was great. So essentially, Robot Chicken and Rick and Morty partner up to make (laughs) Hot Streets. Exactly. A little bit. Although, as much as I want to say that,
1: Brian Weissall is his own person and has a very specific voice. And that's what's great about him. Um, But what I do love about Adult Swim, and, and it's more so than any other network, is... It's a family where every show knows each other. Right. Whereas if you ask about Fox, I don't think every Fox show knows each other. Like when I first started and you were there also, they did a uh, shrimp boil that was yeah. down in Atlanta and brought in all the shows and it was all of us hanging out. So it was like us and the Venture Brother guys and like Tim and Eric and, you know, and, uh, you know, um, what's it called? Dave Willis. Yeah, and, the Yeah, guys it was, were there. It was uh-huh. great. It was like this fantastic thing. And we all just hung out together. And, or if we do upfronts, you know, Eric Andre's there, you know, we just, we all just hang out together. Yeah. And it's, it's great. And I, I love it. And I can't say for any other network how all the other shows would all hang out and know each other in that capacity. What do you watch on TV yourself these days? (laughs) Um, I watch a lot of the long drama type stuff. Um, You know, I just, the one that I'm still preaching now is uh, Fleabag.
0: <laughs> Do you animate yourself? Do you draw um, right now? Also, I mean, not, from the beginning, you did not at all, not I, at all. Yeah, I, I wish I did. Um,
1: I wish I did uh, as much as I want to be someone who can animate and draw. Um,
0: but you look, come I, from a writing background.
1: I come from a writing background. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, again, when I was at, in the comic world, um, I worked at. I mean, my first job was at Marvel. I was an intern there when I was sixteen. And that started wow. it all. Oh, what a great internship. Um, yeah, it was unbelievable. In New York. In New York. Um, what did you do? I, I, as a high school intern, uh, my dad was is a doctor or was a doctor. He's retired now. Um, and one of his patients uh, worked at Marvel and said they had high, to, high school internships. And so he got me the ability to um, interview there. And I was lucky to be one of two people who... Got this thing. So all I did was me and this guy named Joe Matarera, who's a huge comic book artist now. The two of us were these 16-year-old idiots. But we would photocopy everything. Uh We would uh, mail stuff out for people. It was literally like we would go get coffee. It was the lowest of the low. But yeah, it was exactly that level. But what we got to do was we got to know everybody. And every summer after that, I would find uh, internships at other comic book companies or back at Marvel. And, uh, it was, it was, again, even to this day, there are people that I met from there that
0: are still some of my closest, uh, and dearest, uh, friends. What would you tell 16 year olds who might be listening (laughs) to this, uh, what to do if they want to grow up to, I mean, you probably, you probably have one of the most fun jobs (laughs) in existence. Would you say? Yeah. It, you know, it makes stuff. I, I always say it's a really weird thing.
1: Like make stuff, apply for stuff, you know, and be humble about it. I think that's the key. Because there are a lot of people who expect and want things as opposed to be humble and want to learn about it. There was never a point where I said, I deserve this job more so than this is what I'm hoping for. And it's just how you phrase things uh, to make these things happen. Um, and it, look, I used to make stuff on a VHS tape and just shoot lots of little shorts that way. Um, and now you can do it on your phone. Anyone can do it on your phone. Just keep practicing that you have that, that way.
0: early stuff that you made? Uh, you still haven't?
1: Yeah, somewhere. Can we have a link to it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I have I do have one thing that I have to get off of VHS tape that it was uh Tom Root and I who uh is one of the co-head writers of EP's on Robot. We made this Star Wars um Family Feud which is it's not good. Yeah. And but it was fun to make and we we were able to put it together but uh yeah, it's still I have to watch it. I mean, again, I probably haven't it. watched it. Yes, the fact that I made it. Yeah. It just, it helped us understand what works and what doesn't. Uh, and again, fail a lot. The more you fail, the more you
0: learn from your failure. And that's ultimately what we ended up doing. It's um, interesting that you got internships at different comic groups. Yes. That seems really smart. Yeah, I wanted to just meet people. Uh-huh. I, I, I think when you're meeting people, even for me,
1: I want to look out for people who I work with. Yeah. Like... Uh, any of the people who start as a writer on our show, I'm trying to help in every capacity uh, because I see what they're capable of doing. Um, And some of the people I worked with were the same way with me. And look, I look at... uh, And he probably doesn't even remember. There's a a guy who used to be the editor-in-chief of Marvel uh, who ended up leaving and going to start smaller comic companies, a guy named Jim Shooter. And if you're a comic book guy, you know who he is because he wrote a lot of amazing stuff. Um, But he, every summer that i worked with him on the smaller comic companies it was a company called defiant and broadway comics he would look at my writing he would completely shit on it he would tell me how awful and what i'm doing wrong and i would feel terrible about myself the whole summer um and then at the end of the summer he would always say the only reason i was hard on you was because i think you have the ability to do this and it was like oh this is great and then the next summer i'd go back and it just brought you back down (laughs) He may not have done it the best way for me, but it made a real difference to me. And Um, here you are. And here I am. Yeah. But the same thing with the the writers that we have now is just how do you get them to be doing the stuff that they're capable of doing? Yeah. Which is great. I love it. What's next for you? Uh, What's next for me personally? Yeah. Look, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, what's getting next is we've grown this company and we have other projects that we're doing. And I love... And look, from the writers that we're playing with and writers that we know outside of this just being in the industry, I just want to play with friends. I know it's a really dumb thing, but if I can just keep playing on projects with people I like, and it sounds so cheesy to say that, um, that's what I really look forward to doing. Um, for me, with Robot Chicken... You know, Lazo said it. He's like, you're SNL for us. He's like, you are a sketch comedy show that we have that we hope to keep going. And I love working on Ro- Robot Chicken. I want to, as much as I keep saying, oh, I have another project and I want to go off to do it, I keep being way more involved in Robot Chicken than probably the people working on it want me to be still. They're like, you're old now. Go go do
0: some other stuff. But I can't I can't let go. Do you think it's interesting now that you started out with um, Screen Blast yeah. Shorts? Yeah. And now that's what everybody wants. are these little shorts.
1: Yeah, I mean the other good thing that people will say to us is we were ahead of our curve. Yeah, <laughs> because we were doing shorts on this show, um, and from what I hear, our shorts do really well on YouTube and, and yeah. the, the on the site. Um, it, look, it was by it was by as much as Seth and I like to be like, oh yeah, we totally we had no idea You're meant to do that. Yeah, it was not. We just wanted to be silly and fun, and again. The short aspect of it uh, just happened to be at the right time and the right place for us. What are the different ways people mispronounce your name? <laughs> give me the full spectrum. Uh, um, it's uh, Sunrise is one of my favorites. I enjoy that. Uh, I, I give that one to Jeff Loeb, who uh, is at uh, Marvel. Um, he did that starting in, like, 96. He's been telling me that one. Um, let's see. Um, yeah. And then Senrich... Seinrich uh, I'm trying to think some of the other I don't know people just do whatever they want yeah give it and, to us for the record no it's better this way Sunrise. <laughs> uh, yeah but I even in, my dad says it differently so who Your knows dad says it like. differently he says Senrich I said sunrise. my grandpa said Senreich so I stuck with him who knows Sunrise yeah sunrise. Matt
0: Sunrise ladies Perfect. and gentlemen there you have it thanks for coming on <laughs> Be sure to visit adultswim.com slash podcast for links to some of the things Matt and I were just talking about. And as always, we'd love to hear from you, adultswimpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Dave Bonowitz, who, along with Christina Loringer, edited and produced these podcasts. Thanks also to Maggie Cannon for arranging everything, and thank you for listening.